0: Hey everyone, this is Daniel Cut Cut Schwartzberg coming at you from behind the scenes at This Was A Thing. I'm dropping in before the episode to say thank you. You might have seen our post online or noticed in your podcast feed, but we just hit our hundredth episode. That milestone would not have been possible without listeners like you who come back every week to hear the highly curated nonsense we've been making the past couple of years. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We hope it's been a fun journey getting up to this point. It definitely has been on our end. Now, with all the mushy stuff out of the way, rest assured we are full steam ahead planning for the next bunch of episodes to add to the Thingiverse. We also want to find new ways to show our appreciation for listeners of the show, like you, and first on our list of ideas is to give a shout-out each episode to a listener. So, if you'd like to hear Rob or Ray or Mark or one of Ray's dogs read out your name on an episode, we have a big favor to ask. We're trying our best to find ways to get the word out about the show, and your reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform where you might listen to the show are a huge help in that area. So here's how it'll work. First, go to the show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. Second, leave a rating or review in whatever way that platform allows. Third. Send us an email at thiswasathingpod, that's this was a thing P-O-D, at gmail.com, and include a screenshot of your rating or review. For every message we get, we'll throw the name of that listener into one of Ray's many cool hats, and whenever we record a new episode, we'll randomly choose a name and let everyone know, live on air, how awesome you are, and express our undying gratitude. And if you prefer that we not read your name, but are still willing to throw a review or a rating our way, please know you will still have the Undying Gratitude part, just without the potential embarrassment of public acclaim. And as an extra special bonus, if you are one of the first 25 messages we receive, we'll also put your name in a different, even cooler hat, and we'll select one lucky listener to whom we'll send an exclusive gift from Rob and Ray. We won't spoil it here, but trust us, you will be the envy of all your friends who also collect random cultural memorabilia. To bring it back around, thank you all again for listening, and for your support. We couldn't do it without you, and we can't wait to share some of the new things we're planning. That's it for now. Cut, cut out, and on to the episode.
1: Order, order. Order. Now, the meeting on censorship and music will come to an order. I'm Senator Al Gore, and I will interview the first witness. Can you state your name? Yeah, Dee Snyder, lead singer of heavy metal band Twisted Sister. Mr. Snyder, would you be able to sing your answers?
2: Dee Snyder!
1: And why are you here today?
2: Your wife is a filthy minded whore!
1: And? That's interesting, and I have to agree with you on that one, I'll be honest. Now, do you have a podcast that would discuss this very interesting topic?
2: This was a thing! Bah, 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 bah. This was a thing!
1: Sir, this is the United States Senate, and this music is too aggressive for many of our older members. Can you sing it in a more genteel, old timey style as not to wake up our distinguished members from the South? This was a thing.
2: Sorry, that's the best Al Jolson I can do.
0: Haircut.
3: This was, was a this was, was
2: a Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings.
4: Of yesteryear. Yes, and on today's episode, we are going to be looking at censorship, specifically the censorship of music in the 1980s. And two people are going to go head to head in an epic battle for censorship. Let me tell you this, that is up oh wow ray is so you did the beep it was great i love censorship i know you do ray i know you do I, i've i've seen some of the things that you've posted on facebook and on x and on a couple of other deep websites and, and i'm very i'm interested so friends we are looking at two people today two individuals one person you probably know if you love music that's the great d snyder folks d snyder i rock. and the second Is uh, the Karen of all Karens, the original Karen, Miss Tipper Gore? This was a thing because each decade needs a scapegoat, a scapegoat that allows the government and most importantly families not to take responsibility for their actions and their own bad behavior. The aughts had, I would say, video games, right? I would say video. uh,
2: I mean, video games. Well, uh, I. Columbine was 99, so that was a lead into yeah. the aughts. Okay. So yeah, definitely.
4: 90s, I would say television. Remember all the Beavis and Butthead controversy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And the 80s, well, big thing, as you know from our episodes on Satanic Panic, the 80s had jams, baby, and those jams were poison. Uh, we need to put those
2: a... jams were poison!
4: <laughs> <laughs> we need to put a label on those
2: jams. Never trust a label with a big button. Smile.
4: Yes, friends, that label that acts as a warning on music. Quote, Explicit content. Oh my God. Quote parental advisory. That's what we're talking about today. How did those labels get on your music? Whether you used to buy CDs and albums, or even now, if you go onto iTunes or Apple Music, you'll also see these warnings and labels. And where did they come from? And why did the music industry so readily succumb to the pressures of a group of Karens that were doing nothing but sipping their Bartles and James and complaining about music? And I'll give you a hint why this happened. And the bottom line is money. It's going to be about money. You're kidding.
2: In politics. Who? In 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 the record industry. Who knew?
4: Artistic censorship, friends. That's not a new concept because it's been around uh, even before the mid-1980s. And of course, if you've listened to our episodes in Hollywood, we have the Hayes Code uh, and the MP. PAA in Hollywood, and of course, yes,
2: you can listen to him anywhere. It's not don't just not listen in Hollywood.
4: Oh no, you can listen anywhere you want. Juneau, Alaska. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go up there from the uh, from Bangor, mang to Juneau, Alaska. From Saskatchewan to Sarasota, and of course, friends, if you're in the world of radio, and I am sure we will cover him and his battles at some point.
2: Marconi.
4: the FCC. <laughs> Howard Stern. Oh. Uh, the FCC, friends, is the Federal Communications Commission. It was founded in 1934, and the administration, in its inception, wanted to make available so far as possible to all the people of the United States without discrimination on the base of race, color, religion, natural origin, or sex, rapid, efficient, nationwide, and worldwide wire and radio communication service with adequate facilities at reasonable charges. Reasonable. Basically, everyone should have access to radio. Now, the FCC, like I said, its main focus was to increase communication, right? But somehow the FCC got into the world of music censorship in 1973 with not a musician that offended people on the radio, but a comedian. Who's that comedian? Mm, 30, what was it? This is 1973. So from 34 to 73, the FCC was pretty much not censoring anything. Well, They were pretty much just dealing with, hey, we want to make sure that everybody has access to radio. Was it mama? It's not a singer. No, uh, no. Oh, you want to say
2: Moms Mabley? Yeah, Moms Mabley. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's. Is it, uh, 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 God. Dustin Hoffman played him in a movie. Jack bet No, not Jack Len- Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce, no. It's not. It's George Carlin. I was going to say him next. Because, because darn it. in 1973, it was
4: the year that radio station WBAI was slapped on the wrist by the FCC. One first, more time. Uh, WBAI. Was <laughs> it? Power of private parts? WNBC. WNBC. We'll be t- I, oh, there will be an episode on Howard Stern oh, yeah. and his battles with the FCC. So just think of this as the seeds for it. I'll come back <laughs> later. <laughs> just um, water it. Just water it. Um, the FCC heard that WBAI had aired on the radio what the seven dirty words are that Carlin says you can't say. Now
2: what would it again, Rob? Um, that would be, uh, uh, oh, I can't say them. Shit, piss, fuck, gun, cocksucker, motherfucker.
4: Whoa! Why are you getting angry because I can't say the word
2: Tits, fart, turd, and twat were added later. <laughs> like a recipe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make sure you get the shit piss cocksucker motherfucker. Shit, that's piss, your cracker. foundation. Yeah, that's your foundation. Then let it just sit in this freezer overnight. 350. <laughs> 350 in the oven. I know it by because it's a blink when a Tucson. Shit piss, fuck, cocksucker motherfucker, tits, fart, turd, and twat. <laughs> My ears. You got to treat the twat like nutmeg. Okay, Kirk Cameron's <laughs> crying over here. Okay. You made Mike Seaver cry. You feel good about I'm yourself? I'm sorry, Mike.
4: All right. So here's the issue How did the FCC even find out that this was happening? Well, there was a parent who was driving with their kid in the car, and they were listening to the radio. And at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, those words came out. The father said, why, why is this allowed to happen when, during family time? The dads are supposed to be cool. The Supreme Court had to get involved with this because it, it became a legal action, which is there, th- this is inappropriate material for children. And the Supreme Court, 5 to 4, in 1978, sided with the FCC. Saying that broadcasts could enter people's homes unchecked and unwelcomed, and that the broadcasts are accessible to impressionable young children. Therefore, allowing the FCC to fine broadcasters for inappropriate content is totally fine. Just imagine
2: a lot of pervs going, well, I guess I should redefine myself as a broadcaster. (laughs)
4: First, so so first of all, this is the first little form of music censorship here that we're talking about. So the FCC is saying kids could be listening to this, and instead of parents monitoring what their kids listen to, it's now the government's responsibility. Okay, you you, you understand where I'm going? Yeah. Right? So. But the big thing is that it can fine and penalize those who break the FCC's rules of decency. That's probably best seen on uh, the Howard Stern wars. So that takes care of music coming into your home without warning. But how can you prevent the music from even getting to your child in the first place? Now we're going to take a little look at music censorship. Cut their ears off. In the United States, (laughs) Vincent van Gogh, father of the year. Music is fine until it becomes political. No one had a problem with jazz and blues. Except for white people. Well, here's the thing. No one had a problem with it when it was for black people created by black people until white kids starting to listen to it. And then as soon as white kids started to listen to black music, then there was a problem with black music. In the early 1950s, Billboard and Variety, they launched a crusade against lyrics in rhythm and blues songs, which led to the banning of many R&B records by jukebox operators and radio station disc jockeys. What's the problem? It's black people singing black music, and we don't want our white kids listening to it. September 24th, 1954, a Billboard magazine editorial entitled, ready for this, Control the Dimwits. That was the name of the article.
2: And you know you know that person that came up with the title, like, oh, my God, we got them so good. Roasted.
4: Control the Dimwits called for removing R&B records with sexual double entendres from jukeboxes. And they were asking, they were saying to the jukebox manufacturers, you need to remove this on your own accord. We're not censoring you, but we won't put your jukebox in if this
2: music's on it. This record right there—it looks like a labia. Tell me that's not a double entendre. Now here, <laughs> it looks exactly like a labia. No, it's a, it's it's a jukebox. Sir. This is an outer vulva.
4: <laughs> uh, it's a jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> now, in 1956, the North Alabama White Citizens Council declared that rock and roll appealed to quote. Ready for this? The base in man <laughs> brought out animalism and vulgarity and was part of a plot by the NAACP to mongrelize America. What year was this? This was 1956. It's black music that they don't like. And it's black artists that they don't like.
2: I'm just glad things have changed.
4: Right? Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. I think you're going to, as, as this lecture goes on, I think you're going to see a little bit of uh, a lot of similarities. Now, Greatest tastemaker in the 1950s and 60s was Ed Sullivan, who had a program on Sunday nights. Popo G. Joe. Topo G. Joe. He at first resisted having any sort of rhythm and blues music because he found it to be offensive. But eventually, as the demand for it increased by young people, the ratings su- superseded his own moral needs, and he started to put on people like... Elvis
2: um, and other individuals. He started to put on Elvis, white people doing black music. Yes. No, but that's,
4: that's <laughs> yeah. exactly it. Now, this blew my mind. In the 1970s, Reverend Jesse Jackson launched a campaign against this type of music, and he placed the blame for the increase in illegitimate births and abortions on songs advocating sex, okay? So, <laughs> you you have... The issue is... And, this, and we see it all the time still, which is instead of looking at what is causing people in society to act the way that they're doing, it is blaming it on the artistic media that they're consuming. The music is teaching them things. The, the movies are teaching them things. The television is teaching them things. The parents are the ones who should be teaching and guiding. Yeah, that
2: never fucking changes.
4: Now, the FCC did not have a hold on what could be sold at stores. That's free speech, right? Who would monitor the kids and what they were buying? Hell, if newspaper stands had to cover and hide magazines to protect kids, why couldn't music be the same? What is the difference between art and obscenity? Technically, it's parents who control what the kids buy. Think about it. You're under the age of 18. Uh, They live with them and they give them money. But no, that's a little too difficult for the parents. Too easy. How could we protect these kids from even buying the music? We know that we're going to penalize the radios if they play the music, we're going to financially penalize jukeboxes for playing the music, but how can we stop the kids from even purchasing the music? And luckily, a solution came in the form of an artist formerly known as Prince and this 1982 song from 1982, Prince, Let's Pretend We're Married. <laughs> Just so you know, the, the verses here, because I because I like them. Uh, excuse me, but I need a mouth like yours to help me forget the girl that just walked out my door. Funny, but it seems that you're alone like me. If you are, go. Let's come see what we can see. So uh, that's, uh, that's that's a little disgusting, don't you think? Now, fast forward to WAP. Let's pretend we're married and do it all night. I won't stop until the morning light. Let's pretend we're married and go at it all Night. Look, I've been married. That's not how marriage life goes. Well, how about this one? I want to fuck you so bad it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. I want to, 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 I want to fuck you. Yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to fuck you. When are you going to read the lyrics? Look here, Marsha. I'm not saying this just to be nasty. I sincerely want to fuck the taste out of your mouth. Can you relate? And that was to Senator Marsha Blackburn. That was... She was like, I'm game. Now, the Parent Teacher Association is not a fan of this song. The and PTA. The PTA. And the association, this is the national one, sent out letters to notable personalities who thought might have some influence in stopping this kind of music. And it landed in the hands of a woman named Susan Baker, whose husband was Treasury Secretary. James Baker. Mm. Here's uh, Susie Q, talking a little bit about uh, what's going on in her life and what she's listening to.
1: At least the movie industry has given us labels so we can know what we're in for. When we go to a movie, we have some idea. With music, you have none. I'm Guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine.
4: So Susie Q, listen to that song, plus, uh, oh, here's Sheena E.'s Sugar Walls. Oh! and.
1: Uh, Eat Me
4: Alive by Judas Priest. I know what that one's about. Now, she agreed something had to be done. Now, in 1982... She was eaten alive. She was eaten alive by her husband, Treasury Secretary Jim Baker. (laughs) Now, in 1982, Mrs. Baker had a wide array of causes to choose from. Drug issues, AIDS, homelessness, hunger, poverty, even executing those who wore white after Labor Day. But no, she knew the cause of all those horrible things, and it was Prince, damn it. And like a Marvel movie made by Ben Ginsberg, she summoned her flock of Karens and they gave birth in wedlock. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. To the Parents Music Resource Center. Thank God. Now, on the committee were these women, all who eventually were seen in Def Leppard music couldn't, videos.
2: Couldn't sing a lick.
4: Couldn't sing a lick. <laughs> hey, let's not use lick. This is a bipartisan committee.
2: So, guys and girls. G- su- guys and girls. Susan Baker. Republican as yeah, to was be. Yeah, I she sounds Republican.
4: Here are some of the names of some of the people that are on this committee, these women. Are you ready for these names? God. Peetzy Hollins. Peetzy? Peetzy. And she's the wife of Senator Ernest Hollings. <laughs> Ethelann Stuckey. <laughs> she was married to William Stuckey a former Georgia congressman Sally Nevius whose husband John Nevius was a member of the Washington City Council and he was also plotting like a world takeover Oh yes y'all yeah, Nevius I'm Nevius Pam Howard, she was a spouse of the CEO of a major Washington construction firm TV host Sheila Walsh and of course Tipper Gore wife of Al Gore Jr at the time the senator from Tennessee Tipper Gore Democratic as can be.
1: Must say anything, lyrics. Tipper? There songs about glorifying incest. There are songs about rape, thrill-killing, uh, sadomasochism. There's a song that goes, quote, not a woman but a whore, I can taste the hate. Well, now I'm killing you. Watch your face turning blue, unquote, by a group that has sold two million copies of that particular album. They're very popular with young
0: kids.
4: Now, today we teenagers. know Tipper Gore is the wife of Vice President Al Gore, but before he was the vice president, he was the senator from Tennessee, just like his dear old dad was. But Tipper had a life before she married Al. What was her real name? Do you know what her real name is? Um, it would be... Um, Tipper, obviously. it's Gratuity. She, <laughs> she was born with the name Mary, but her nickname, Tipper, came from either a lullaby her mom heard or by a very sarcastic gay server at a Nashville restaurant. <laughs> She met Al at her prom. She went with someone else but saw him. How could you not be attracted to him? I was doing security. And when she, probably, and when she was in high school, guess what? She was a drummer in an all-female band called... The Wildcats. I could play double bass. Soon after her husband's election to Congress in 1976, she established a group to examine and write about social issues called the Congressional Wives Task Force, which she chaired in 1978. Coming to CBS. And 1979, which studied the effects of media violence on television. But she had a personal stake in all of this because one day her 11-year-old daughter played a song by Prince Called Darling Nicky in her presence. I knew a girl named
1: Nicky. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine.
2: She said,
3: How'd you like to waste some
2: time? And I could not resist when the soul, little Nicky, grind. Here is uh,
4: the verse. I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. She said, "How'd you like to waste some time?" And I could not resist when I saw little Nikki grind. Now Tipper was furious. How dare her 11 year old buy a copy of this album with this song on it? Now Tipper had some options. One, she could ask her daughter where'd you get the money to buy the album in the first place. And what uh, kind of magazine? And uh, what kind of ma- Readers Digest? Susan says that doesn't work. <laughs> um, who took her to buy the album? Who allowed her to play the album without? listening to it ahead of time. Or she could have just simply taken the album away from her daughter and said she can listen to it when she is an adult. No, she didn't do that. So Tipper not only joined the committee of the Parental Advisory Council, she also wrote a book. The book is called Raising PG Kids in an X-Rated Society. And in this book... I'm not joking. I know. In just... this book, she generalized a lot of social problems and cherry-picked her information. Now, to be clear on our timeline, this book did not come out until after this committee, but it was pretty much all of her talking points. And the committee I'm talking about is the Senate Committee, which is where yeah, Tipper yeah, yeah. and Dee Snyder go at it. So, in May of 1985, Tipper, Susan, they create the Parents Music Resource Center, and its board of directors was 17 other Washington wives, all married to senators, congressmen cabinet officials, along with a couple of businessman spouses. Why did they do this? Here are the words of Susan Baker. She said, quote, pornography sold to children is illegal. Enforcing that is not Censorship. It is simply the act of a responsible society that recognizes that some material made available to adults is not appropriate for children. It is our contention that pervasive messages aimed at children which promote and glorify suicide, rape and sadomasochism have to be numbered among the contributing factors. Basically, the problems of kids represent America's problems, and it's because of the music. Obviously. What could be done now? Well, they had to warn parents about what songs you should not buy for your kids, or if you see it in your kid's uh, bedroom, get rid of it. And they released a list called the Filthy Fifteen. And these were 15 songs that should not be included, should not be purchased, and if they are in your home, get rid of them. Here we go. Are you ready? So I'm going to give you the song title, okay, and you're going to tell me who wrote it. Starting at number one. Ready? Mm Let's see how fast you go. Daniel, I need 60 seconds on the clock. And go.
2: Darling Nikki. Darling Nikki is uh Prince. Uh Sugar Walls. Sugar Walls would be Sheeny E. Good. Uh Eat Me Alive. Eat Me Alive would be uh 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 Judas Priest. Strap on Robbie, baby. <sighs> uh pass. Bastard. Uh pass. Let me put my love into you. Uh uh, would that is that Neil Sedaka? <laughs> close. Uh uh A C D C. Uh we're not gonna take it. That would be uh D Snyder and Twisted Sister. Dress you up. Dress you up, uh okay. Sure. Uh 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 animal, fuck like a beast. Uh, uh, I don't know that one. Nine Inch Nails? No. High and Dry, or
4: sometimes called Saturday Night. Barbara Bush.
2: Into the Coven. I don't know. Trashed. Gee, I, oh God.
4: In My House. Possessed. And Shebop. Okay. <laughs> okay, Ray. Obviously, your parents were very big into the parental society because you've not listened to any of these songs. They are Strap On Robbie Baby is by Vanity. Bastard is Motley Crue, ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You, uh, You Got Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, Madonna is Dress You Up, uh. Wasp is Animal, Fuck Like a Beast, Def Leppard is High and Dry, Merciful Fate is Into the Coven, Black Sabbath is Trashed, Mary Jane Girls is In My House, Venom is Possessed, and finally, Shebop is by Cindy Lauper. Shebop was actually on there? Yes. I thought because that... it has to deal with sex and masturbation.
2: Oh my god, I thought you were doing a bit. No,
4: it's really called that that was number 15, Sheba.
2: Oh my god. I cannot live another day without air conditioning. It says tomorrow's gonna be hotter. Hotter. Like yesterday. Yesterday. But yesterday you said you'd call Patreon. I'll call
4: today. You'll call now. I'll call now. That's right. To be one of the cool kids, become one of our Patreon supporters and help keep us on the air. Head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for This Was a Thing. And set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing. So what's the paper say about tomorrow? Another scorcher. Cool. Cool. Now, obviously, they don't believe in censorship like you can't do this. It's a free country. But here is what they propose to the music industry, to the, 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 organi- the recording industry. They say, we th- want you to print all the lyrics on the record sleeves. OK. We want you to remove any lewd sleeves, you know, uh, fr- from display so that they're in the back. They want the FCC to systematically monitor radio and TV shows and penalize any ones that break the code of conduct. They want to secure the spontaneous agreement of record companies to indicate by means of a code the general tenor of some records. So V would be for violence. X would be for sexually explicit lyrics. DA would be drugs and alcohol. And
2: what does O stand for? Offensive content? A cult. Oh, of course. Well, that, and here's the thing I was going to say that Into the Coven stuck out to me just because I can only imagine some song written by a fucking metal band that's like, oh, we're going to write a song about Witches Coven, and then them going like, this was during the Satanic Panic. So, I mean, yeah, it all fucking, checked. this is so crazy. Here is a wonderful lady by the name of Candy uh,
4: appearing on Nightline uh, to discuss a little bit about what she thinks the rating system should be and, uh, Donnie Osmond's also there, bringing up a really good point.
3: At least a rating system gives a parent the opportunity to say to a child, look, this is a movie we don't think that you should see until you're a little older. A rating system for records, would it make kids go out and buy those albums? I think if a child comes into the house with an X-rated album or an R-rated album, that a parent has the opportunity to take a look at that and say, this has a a rating on it that we don't feel is appropriate for you at this age. Well, first
2: of all, you're not, first of all, the child is going to hide that album like crazy because it has an X-rated uh, label slapped on it.
4: So, the music industry, the recording industry, is being told... RI-A-A, R-I-A is being told by a group of parents
2: to do this. What do you think they did? They did it. They did it right away. They did. Because the parents are the ones spending the money to buy the records. So, therefore, if the record companies do what the parents say with these ones, then they're going to be like, oh, the we did what the parents want, so the parents will buy the records. Is that, is that close? That is a really good
4: guess, and that is not it. Oh, wow. Well. It is what we're going to call tit for tat. Here, I'll show you my tat. No, no. no. Oh. Here is why the recording industry acquiesced so fast, and this is because of a bipartisan House resolution, H.R. 2911, better known as the Tape Tax. The Tape Tax would impose a royalty on blank audio tapes and tape recorders. By making electronic copying more expensive, the legislation would reimburse those who believe they lose sales When music is taped at home, the legislation would charge manufacturers one cent a minute on blank cassettes and five percent or 10 percent of the wholesale cost of a tape recorder. The benefactors of this would be massive stars and big labels bringing in about two hundred and fifty million dollars. So basically recording labels are saying, hey, if somebody copies our music, we don't see any money from that album. So we want our we we need money. We want our comeuppance now. We are getting taken advantage of. So, Capitol, House, Senate, you pass the tape tax, and we'll do and we'll do this, and that's how the deal was done. And as it happened, four of the senators who sat on the hearings of the uh, Commerce Committee who would be doing this – this was Senators uh, uh, Packwood, Gore, Strom Thurmond, and Chairman John C. Danforth, who was the Republican senator of Missouri – they also were on the Ad Hoc Committee, which worked on the Parents Music Resource Center, the H.R. 2911 bill, and they were all married to PMRC officials. Well, well then – You know, everything worked out for how it's supposed to work out. So if the music industry got their tape tax, they would then not fight the censorship. But the senators still needed a soundbite because what's the point of a victory without a victory lap? So they decided to hold a committee hearing on something called porn rap. I think that's called condom. Oh. On September 19th, 1985, the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee began their hearings on, quote, the subject of the content of certain sound recordings and suggestions that recording packages be labeled to provide a warning to prospective purchasers of sexually explicit or other potentially offensive content. Once again, the music industry had agreed to this. There was no problem. They said, great, we'll do it. Get us our tape tax. Uh, spoiler alert, they never got the tape tax, by the way. But never got never got passed. (laughs) So there you go. On the witness list for uh, the pro side saying that this should happen was Tipper Gore and Florida Senator Paula Hawkins Um, and uh, uh, Paula Hawkins. She said, quote, much has changed since Elvis's seemingly innocent times. Uh, Subtleties, suggestions, and innuendo have given way to overt expressions and descriptions of often violent sexual acts, drug taking, and flirtations with the occult. Uh, The record album covers, to me, are self-explanatory. She held up three record covers. The first one is Pyromania by Def Leppard. It's the a scope, a rifle scope on a burning building. Then, uh, Wow! by Wendy o. Williams, not to be confused with Wendy Williams. And, and, wow. ba- and basically, it looks like Christine Baranski wearing a harness and holding a mic. That's pretty much what it looks like. And the last one is Wasp by Wasp, and it's literally Bargain Basement Kiss with, like, a skeleton on the cover. They also introduced into evidence two music videos. uh, Van Halen's Hot for Teacher, which is a fantasy of a teacher who strips in front of her class, and We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. And if you've never seen that one in that, all that happens is Twisted Sister just uproots a suburban family. The National PTA Vice President, uh, Millie Waterman, uh, she said what her role in the debate was, and she said, you know, we should print the symbol R on the cover of recordings containing, quote, Explicit language, violence, profanity, the occult, glorification of drugs and alcohol. There's a lot of occult stuff that they're worried about. And then this, 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 I was like, what the hell are you talking about? They brought in a doctor from the University of Texas at San Antonio, and he spoke regarding the power of music to influence behavior. And he argued that heavy metal was different from earlier forms of music, such as jazz and rock and roll, because it was, quote, church music and, quote, had as one of its central elements the element of hatred. That is the pro side. They decide to bring up three musicians who are going to testify at this hearing, saying censorship is incorrect and this labeling system is incorrect. The first person they're going to bring up is Frank Zappa, who is one of the most influential singers of his generation, with songs like Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, Joe's Garage, Montana. And during his statement, he asserted, quote, the PMRC proposal is an ill-conceived piece of nonsense which fails to deliver any real benefits to children, infringes the civil liberties of people who are not children, and promises to keep the courts busy for years dealing with the interpretational and enforcemental problems inherent in the proposal's design. He went on to state his suspicion that the hearings were a front for H.R. 2911, saying, quote, The major record labels need to have H.R. 2911 whiz through a few committees before anybody smells a rat. One of them is chaired by Senator Thurmond. Is it a coincidence that Mrs. Thurmond is affiliated with the PMRC? A couple of blowjobs here and there, and bingo, you get a hearing. He also noted that the senator from Tennessee and his wife, Mr. Gore, were not targeting country music. Because that was a huge asset in their Mm -hmm. state. So why would he take jobs away from his own people? So luckily, there was somebody who was going to testify from the music industry that they thought was going to help them immensely get their cause across. And that is John Denver. John Denver, who wrote Rocky Mountain High. Thank God I'm a country boy. He was going to. So here's the thing. He comes into Capitol Hill. And every senator is falling all over themselves to get a picture with John Denver. He is literally the representation of American music. And they are so excited because he's going to be the one that's going to articulate from a musician's point of view why it's important to have kids protected. They were a little bit incorrect because he equated the PMRC proposals to Nazi book burnings. He said, uh, "I'm strongly opposed to censorship of any kind in our society or anywhere else in the world. That which is denied becomes that which is most desired, and that which is hidden becomes that which is most interesting. Consequently, a great deal of time and energy is spent trying to get at what is being kept from you. So now they're having some troubles, but <gasps> they knew it's going to be great because their last witness, one of their last witnesses, is going to be D. Snyder, D. Snyder." big burden drag literally <laughs> tall <laughs> big blonde hair uh, he, he's a twisted sister
2: he has he has the makeup aesthetic of Mimi from
4: uh Oh yes. Harry. he is going to be the easiest target to destroy here's a little interview with D Snyder
2: D brought his A game
3: I knew that they were like everybody else grossly underestimating me I knew that they viewed me as just another dunderheaded rocker and they would bring me in made me look like a fool and I would help their cause. They did not know that I could construct a sentence and speak English fluently. Since I seem to be the only person addressing this committee today who has been a direct target of accusations from the presumably responsible PMRC, I would like to use this occasion to speak on a more personal note and show just how unfair the whole concept of lyrical interpretation and judgment can be and how many times this can amount to little more than character assassination. And I am just tearing apart everything that they've accused me of.
4: Oh my God. But the best thing is is he says, quote, the full this is Snyder, D. Snyder, the full responsibility for defending my children falls on the shoulders of my wife and I, because there is no one else capable of making these judgments for us. But Despite all the pomp and circumstance, this was all moot because November 1st, 1985, before the hearings were even over, the RIAA substantially acquiesced in the PMRC's demands and asked its members to choose, these are the record, you know, the labels and stuff, uh, choose between two solutions. Either you can put a warning label on the sleeve or you can print the lyrics and put them on the sleeve. From January 86 to August 89, out of the 7,500 albums released, 49 displayed some kind of warning message, Um, even though uh, in that same period, the PMRC had considered 121 of them offensive. Now, there's something that comes out of this, which is now known as the chill factor, which is what is, is the freezing out of a lot of these records, several major retail chains. Camelot, Music and Video, Walmart, Sears, JCPenney's, Disc Jockey decided they would no longer carry records that had the label of explicit content on it. Not that they were hiding. You cannot buy a record there, so you're losing sales. Transworld, Tower, Musicland, Waterloo, Record Bar, Sound Exchange wouldn't sell these records to minors, requiring proof of age from their customers and making the employee responsible. If records were found to have been sold to minors. So if you were working at the record store, you had to enter in your ID so that way if the parent goes, how did they buy it? Well, Ray sold it to him, boom, you're fired. Wow. Then there was, this this I found so interesting, there was an owner and operator of a record store in San Antonio and he declared that his official line when interviewed by local newspapers was to say he did not carry any of the labeled albums as he expected police forces to keep on helping him in case of a burglary. Uh, In 1986, Representative Judith Toth, that's a name from Maryland, alerted by the PMRC, had introduced a bill, which was defeated, intending to criminalize the sale of obscene records to minors. In 1990, Representative Joseph Arnell, after attending a Tipper Gore lecture, sponsored another bill in... Florida. The purpose of his bill was to turn what was initially a voluntary agreement, which was fixing the warning label, into law. Not only would the label have become mandatory, but selling them to minors would have become a crime. Eighteen other states supported this, and they soon followed suit and contemplated similar legislation. 1990s is a big one for us. Two live crew. I was going to I was waiting for two live crew. The most dramatic case concerned the rap group Two live crew on February 6, 1990, following a prosecution on obscenity gowns in Florida. Judge Grossman of the Broward County Circuit Court issued a probable case ruling stating that he had good reasons to think the album as nasty as they want to be was obscene and therefore illegal under Florida law. The order was simply photocopied and given out to record store owners saying um, you would be arrested if you failed to comply. Most of them stopped selling the record, except three, and they were arrested. On March 16th, 1990, the group decided to protect their rights by filing suit in a federal court. And two years later, Judge Grossman's initial ruling was overturned. So what they said was, was pretty much a violation of free speech now tons and tons and tons of singers and songwriters decide to get back at tipper gore. And here we go, friend. Judith Priest's song, Parental Guidance, was a response to Tipper Gore. The This is a, a quote from Megadeth Anarchy in the UK. Quote, is this the PMRC? Is this the DEA? Or is this the CIA? I thought it was the USA. The punk rock band NoFX released an EP titled oh. The PMRC Can Suck On This. It's one of my favorite bands of all time. I know. Uh, Todd Rundgren's 1991 non-album song Jesse features these lyrics. I want to fuck you tipper because you showed me that things are still the same everybody's parents turn out lame i want to say fuck you tipper
2: gore that was todd rundgren yes that was the producer of bad out of hell
4: oh my god you learn something new every day so to this day we still have these albums that are uh censored in some way you know exactly What's going to be on there? You know, you have a content warning the same way televisions now have ratings, the same way movies had ratings. And so, anytime you now buy an album or listen to an album and you look at the parental uh, advisory content warning label, it becomes, it comes from here because one day two women were sitting around and they just didn't want their kids listening to Prince's music. And instead of taking responsibility, they turned it back on the record industry and the record industry bent over and said, Hey, Give us our tape tax and we'll do anything you want. What happened to some of these players? Well, we're going to tell you when we come right back.
1: And
2: and now, this is a sketch.
4: Mr. Boleyn, can I see you for a moment? Right away. Oh, and you can call me Irving. All right, Mr. Boleyn. We love everything you're doing here at Tin Pan Alley. Just love it. So, so many wonderful songs, but there are a bunch of mothers who are nervous their kids are going to hear something they shouldn't, so we need to make some changes.
2: Why don't they just monitor what their
4: children listen to? Damn it, Berlin! there's a war going on. They have no time to monitor. A woman's job during wartime is to sit by the window and knit, damn it. Knit socks for her dead husband overseas. And when she runs out of yarn, she'll use good old American gumption. You follow, Boleyn? Yes, sir. Okay. Make sure these songs are removed from all of the music stores so as not to cause a riot and upset our patriotism. Now, this is the list the mother sent over to me. Song one, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Why? Promotes coming out and playing with balls. Oh. If you knew Susie. Why? Susie's a filthy jerry. Al Jolson's I'll say she does. What does she do? Exactly. Maybe she sells secrets to the commies. Maybe she blows up Niagara Falls. Maybe she lays down and lets every Air Force man have their way with her. And we don't even have an Air Force. So who are these men, Berlin? Who are they? Please, tell my daughter as she's carrying more children now than an alley cat.
1: I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. No, no, I am,
4: Berlin. I have to keep a cool head. Summer, you know, no AC in this five-piece wool suit is constricting. Now, keep writing these titles down. Over there. Gone promotes leaving this great country. When Irish eyes are smiling promotes the idea the Irish are happy. I'm always chasing rainbows. Too gay. I'm forever blowing bubbles. Why? That song's written for little whippersnappers. Damn it, Berlin. Everyone knows bubbles is a pet name for William Jennings Bryan. Next song, Come, Josephine and My Flying Machine. Uh, That makes sense. Exactly. Women Women can't 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 come. Come. Where the river Shannon flows. No lyrics about menstruation. Keep the home fires burning. Pyromania. Want a girl like the one that married dear old dad. Incest. There's a long, long trail. Ejaculation. Somewhere a voice is calling. Paranoia. Under the yum-yum tree. Drugs. The yum-yum tree is just an oak tree, sir. An oak tree made of drugs like aspirin, not something helpful like cocaine? Damn it, Berlin. Sometimes I question your sanity. Page two. When you wore a tulip and I wore a big red rose. Why don't they just call the song When You Spread Your Legs and I Penetrated You? Then my daughter would have something for us to dance to at her wedding. You got that, Berlin? Yes, sir. Anything else? Uh, Yes. Uh, No more songs written in F minor. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. And no songs with Jews. Thank you. This was a sketch. So, once again the idea is to protect children and to protect the family unit from bad behavior. Um, And let's talk a little bit about the people that were on the committee uh, to see what happened to them. Remember Pete Hollings? Oh my God. Senator, uh, Senator Ernest Hollings wife. Pete Well, here's an interesting thing about Senator Hollings, her husband. He was nicknamed the Senator from Disney. Because he was taking so much money from the Disney Corporation Uh, in 1981, Senator Hollings had to apologize to uh, Senator Howard Metzenbaum after he referred to him as the senator from B'nai B'rith on the Senate floor. Metzenberg, who was Jewish, raised a point of personal privilege, uh, and Hollings' remarks were stricken from the record. In 1993, Hollings told reporters he attended international summits because, quote, everybody likes to go to Geneva. I used to do it for the Law of the Sea conferences, and you'd find those uh, potentates from down in Africa, you know, rather than eating each other, they'd just come up and get a good square meal in Geneva. He accused Africans of cannibalism. And then got some real big uh, controversy here. There was a gentleman by the name of Yoshio Sakurachi, and he made a comment that Americans are lazy and illiterate. And Hollings replied, quote, you should draw a mushroom cloud and put underneath it, made in America by lazy and illiterate Americans and tested in Japan. So she's married to him. Itzi, get out of there. Then we have Tipper Gore. Tipper. Hardly know her. Who had to protect her kids. She divorced her husband, Al Gore. Her oldest daughter has struggled with personal troubles and is rebuilding her life after a separation from her husband. Her other daughter, Kristen, uh, had a divorce. Her son, Albert, had a lot of youthful indiscretions with alcohol and marijuana. And uh, her last daughter, Sarah, is now a freelance artist and married in California. Traditional. And Dee Snyder, he is still married to his wife from mm-hmm. 1981. They have four kids and they live on Long Island. I am so hoping that maybe D. Snyder can create an advisory council for
2: Tipper Gore and her family. Oh my God! Rob took the mic out of the stand, and threw it on the ground. Boom! So Ray, that's that is my story of how
4: Tipper Gore and D. Snyder butted heads with each other. It's I I honestly thought going into this I thought oh this is going to be really interesting because the research is going to show that the, how hard the music industry tried to resist this form of censorship. Do you think a
2: rating system is censorship? Uh I think it's a warning. I think it's I think it's fair to warn. But to, I mean here's like a Walmart I'm pretty sure still to this day uh if you have uh, an album with bad words you have to make an album cen- censored version to sell at a Walmart that is correct and I think Kmart used to do that as well that is correct thats censorship but
4: I'm like what I just love is that here's this woman who's going around saying how people should raise their kids so their kids can have these wonderful happy lives and she has three she's gotten a, she's divorced she has three kids that are divorced one of the kids has problems with drugs and or had problems with drugs and alcohol allegedly you know it's just it's one of these things where you go focus on yourself. I don't know, I I found this whole thing fascinating because I thought the music industry was going to resist this form of labeling even harder, and that's not the case. They wanted the tape tax, which never got passed. Of course it didn't. It never got passed. Because CDs came in. Okay, that's that, and so now we're going to turn it over to our friend Mark Schroeder, who's going to ask us some questions about Tipper Gore. But he needs to be censored. Oh, Mark. Pull your pants back up.
3: This was a thing, and now it's a
2: quiz. This is a. This was a quiz with Mark Schroeder. Mark, who's your favorite all-time second lady?
3: Oh, Lady Bird Johnson. Okay. You know, Lady Bird Johnson's real first name? Claudia Martha. Wow, really smart, Rob. You're Claudia. a big history buff. Uh, yeah, well, I've, I've never known. Major. I've never known anyone named Tipper in my entire life. But it Maybe made never think known a good of, one either. Y- well, hell, speaking of that. We're going to talk about tipping because huh? I'm wondering what y'all tip. We're going to find out which one is a cheapskate with a little game called Hey, Big Tipper. <laughs> oh. uh, you're going to compete against each other in this speed game. Taking turns, you're each going to go. Uh, I'm going to give you each eight rapid fire situations or services that are conducive to tipping. And you must tell me how much money you would tip without thinking too much because it's a rigorously timed game. So you just got to feel it. Who went first last time? Who goes first this time? Uh, You go first. I go first. Okay. So this is the thing. There's no particular uh, correct answer, but the Internet's going to judge you and the listeners will write and say you're a cheapskater. You're great. All right, Rob, here you
4: go. Mm -hmm. Bartender. How much do I tip per drink? Oh, per drink, a dollar per drink. Cab driver. Um, a ten percent. No, sorry, a fifteen percent. Postmates driver. A what? Postmates driver. Postmates. Oh, uh, a fifteen percent. A valet. Uh, five dollars.
3: A car wash.
4: Five. Do- uh, no, a car wash. Ten dollars. A babysitter. And nothing.
3: Cable satellite installer. Nothing. Wedding efficient.
2: Oh, a hundred. Okay. Ray, are you ready i think so pizza delivery 20 percent barber barber uh ten dollar tip hotel porter hotel porter uh two dollars
3: uber lift uber lift
2: uh 15 percent massage therapist massage therapist ten dollar tip bathroom attendant bathroom attendant uh dollar professional movers professional movers uh need a 20 apiece tattoo artist tattoo artists uh probably uh
3: an extra 20 bucks all right internet do your thing what do you think? Some of those things sounded right. They were coming pretty hard and fast, but they—they they all felt about right. I think you guys are fair. I think you guys are fair. Nothing yeah. really jumped out me that was that was egregious. Did you guys hear anything that was egregious? Uh, to, no, to you? I
4: always try to leave a good tip because I know how hard
3: that is. Yeah. yeah. Even if the service isn't. <laughs> no, uh, even if the no, service isn't the best. How like. hard a tip is. Why's your tip hard? Isn't Why are you always
2: talking about your cock?
3: I'm talking about financially never mind. Tough one's a wedding efficient. I try to get a little trick. I don't know about tattoo artists. I don't know. Yeah, weigh in, right in. If you guys are heavily I tatted up, we're not really rocking tats yeah. here. So let me know. What do you think? Because tattoos you have a tattoo. are
2: I have a W on one butt cheek and a W on the other one. I bend over. Wow. Yeah. And I do a cartwheel. Wow, mom. Wow, mom. <laughs> That's amazing. you want to tell them where they can see this? Well, I I also have another, I actually have two more. I, I have a flame on one thigh and a devil on the other. And when I cross my legs, it looks like hell. But you could go to this was a thing pod at Instagram, www.thiswasathing.com, or Patreon.com/slash ThisWasAThing. Old Lucy level five dollars a month, folks, will get you tons and tons and tons of stuff, and you can see all my tattoos, all of them, <clears throat> all the tattoos. And it's uh, it's gonna take a while for the for the for files to load because they are very. It's high, it's high def photos, so <laughs> expect a load time but then expect some (laughs) love.
4: Get out of here. (laughs) Goodbye,
2: everybody. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg. Our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reesey, Our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford. Our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic, Desavia, Savia. And finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love follow us on Instagram and Twitter at this was a thing pod and Facebook we are this was a thing podcast reach out we'd love to hear from you and if you really like what we did today head on over to patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes interviews and merch that's patreon search this was a thing and support us so we can keep doing this show.